Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 484 for the 13th of March, 2016, one day before Pi Day. This week, an old school spam cropped up in my email inbox and caused me to think about advances that spammers have made. In short circuits, Microsoft has updated the enterprise version of Windows Defender to provide faster responses to attacks, and that has some pundits really worried. A malware attack on Apple's OS X operating system again shows that Macs can be attacked. The Federal Communications Commission will vote on a plan to make broadband more affordable for low-income households. And in spare parts, only on the website, at the education section of the South by Southwest Festival, talk about how open education resources are becoming increasingly important in classrooms and Microsoft partners with the NCAA to provide insight into the upcoming March Madness, and we hope they don't drop the ball. The message began, Hello, dear. I thought spams that began that way had died out years ago. And yet there it was on my screen. Hello, dear, from someone I don't know. It wasn't from the daughter of a Nigerian king, or from a banker who wanted me to help him get some money out of a country. In fact, I don't know what the scammer's line would have been. The message simply said that the sender had something important to tell me and I should contact her. Well, in considerably less time than it has taken me to tell you about it, I had deleted the message. Some people probably didn't, though. And I have to wonder why people fall for scams that are hatched by people the cops used to call bunko artists. Even the best anti-malware can't protect you from these kinds of scams. And where did that term come from anyway? Wikipedia says a confidence trick is also known as a con game, a con, a scam, a grift, a hustle, a bunko, spelled with either a K or a C, a swindle, a flimflam, a gaffle, or a bamboozle. The intended victims are known as marks, suckers, or gulls, gulls as in gullible. When accomplices are employed, they're known as shills. But why are there so many of them? Are those of us who haven't yet taken the bait just lucky? Or are we smarter, or more suspicious, or more cynical than others? As I wrote to a TechBiter Worldwide listener this past week, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. If more people asked more questions, we'd probably all be better off. Most of the online scams are better designed than they were in the old days, and we really don't know how many cons exist. The best ones are never discovered, and some people are simply too embarrassed to admit they were gulls for somebody's hustle. Cons aren't new. They're mentioned in the Bible. Bernie Madoff is in prison for turning members of the 1% into marks. You're at risk when you drop your guard and stop asking questions. It turns out that the Internet is the perfect place for fraudsters to play their games. We're online and able to communicate with people around the world. We are sophisticated, we think. We're smart. Well, we like to think that. I've been reading a book in which one of the characters is a southern sheriff. 
He's set up to have about half the IQ of the average baboon, but it turns out that he plays the stereotypical stupidity to his advantage, and he's actually far ahead of the people who consider him to be an imbecile. And so it is with fraudsters. Unlike 15 or 20 years ago, they are not stupid. Fraud is a big business these days, and the players know how to get the best return on their investment. We expose a lot of information about ourselves on services such as LinkedIn and Facebook. A fraudster can appear to know you. The stereotypical victim is often an older person, but younger people are often victims. Swindlers know that they'll have better success if they go after people who have a lot of money. As Bernie Madoff illustrated, the super-rich are vulnerable. And while the smartest scammers go for the rich, there are lots of scammers who aren't the smartest. They'll go for anybody they can find. In other words, we're all potential victims. Almost anybody can probably be conned. Dating back to antiquity, humans learned that we have to cooperate with each other just to survive. We want to believe. When someone tells us that they can double our money without any risk in 60 days, we'd like to believe them no matter how illogical the offer seems. Con artists excel when it comes to presenting situations that are almost believable. And just like salespeople are the most likely to fall for a good sales pitch, con artists fall for lines spun by better con artists. And yes, there's a certain irony there. I've been reading a series of books about a Los Angeles police detective who carefully looks for tells when he's questioning somebody. Pamela Meyer's book called Lie Spotting describes actions we can take to spot those less-than-truthful claims. Trust is good, even though all of us lie every day to just about everybody. Most of the lies are white lies. No, that dress doesn't make you look fat. Or, hey, Bob, I'm really glad to see you. And these small untruths sometimes make it possible for us to get things done without needless friction. The most productive schemes for fraudsters aren't those Nigerian prince variety. If you want to make money online as a fraudster, you should concentrate on Ponzi schemes and insider trading. These are things that fool large numbers of people. Buy XYZ stock today because it's going to go through the roof tomorrow and you'll triple your investment in 24 hours. An important reminder here, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. Fraudsters understand that people want to believe in each other. The story they'll pitch to you will be designed to catch you off guard. And they know that they'll be safe because many victims won't even report the crime. Why? Well, a smart person would have to admit being conned. How many Germans admitted being in favor of Adolf Hitler? How many Italians said they backed Il Duce when World War II ended? We just don't want to admit that we've been duped. So con artists love technology. Oh, and by the way, so do pornographers. And consider pornography just as a side note here. Whenever technology has advanced, pornographers have been there. In just the recent era, pornographers have taken advantage of VHS and beta, CDs, DVDs, streaming video, 3D video, and watch out, soon virtual reality. Scammers were there with useless medicines in the Wild West, scams that arrived in your mailbox, scams that arrived by telephone and fax, scams that arrive now on the Internet. And who knows what the future will bring? You name it, the fraudsters will be there to exploit it. So being skeptical, now it's not a bad thing.
short circuits. After languishing for several years, Windows Defender is more robust. There is no shortage of third-party security applications, and I use one of them, but it really makes sense for protective functions to be part of the operating system. Enterprise customers, which is to say corporate users of Windows, now have access to Windows Defender Advanced Threat Protection. It's intended to assist system administrators in detecting, identifying, and eliminating attacks on their networks. As is true with other third-party protective applications, Windows Defender Advanced Threat Protection needs to report information back to Microsoft's developers so that they can see what real-world threats companies are facing. Of course, it's okay if it's Kaspersky or McAfee or Havast that collects the information from users, but because Microsoft is doing it, some pundits say that Microsoft is violating users' privacy. Advanced threats are some of the most dangerous types of attacks. Every network can be attacked, and many networks can be breached. Network administrators try to anticipate threats and protect against them, but criminal groups also try to anticipate advances in protective measures and find ways to defeat them. Maybe you're old enough to remember the spy versus spy feature that came to Mad Magazine in 1961. It works just like that. Once upon a time, attacks were shotgunned into cyberspace, but now they're frequently targeted efforts developed by organized crime. The developers who create them are intelligent and know how to write effective malware and good tight code. In other words, these are no longer script kiddies working with code they don't even understand. The Windows Defender Advanced Threat Protection has three specific objectives, detect, respond, and complement. Microsoft collects threat information from systems that are running Windows 10 in corporate environments around the globe. This allows it to detect threats early. When developers see a new threat, they can create countermeasures and push those patches out to all enterprise systems. The Windows Defender Advanced Threat Protection is intended to work along with Office 365 Advanced Threat Protection and Microsoft Advanced Threat Analytics. Yes, enterprise users will need to provide information about their systems to Microsoft, and some pundits see a danger there. What information is reported back to Microsoft? Data that shows the state of the enterprise's network functions. No proprietary information is returned to Microsoft. At some point, network administrators need to determine whether they trust the company that created the operating system its computers use, and if they don't, then it's Time to find another provider. Malwarebytes reports that ransomware is showing up on Macs and says that Apple has added detection for Key Ranger to the X-Protect anti-malware definitions in OS X. Palo Alto Networks discovered the threat and made the initial report. Apparently, a BitTorrent client had ransomware added in a file named general.rtf. The extension implies that it's a rich text document, but actually it's an executable file that is placed in the OS X system directory. That file then creates additional files and sits quietly for three days. After its quiet period, the malware begins encrypting all files in the Users folder 
and any files it finds that appear to contain data in the Volumes folder. In other words, files that are on connected external hard drives and servers. A new file called readme4decrypt.txt is then added to each directory where files have been encrypted. You'll see a sample of that file on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The malware can also encrypt external drives and network volumes, so users' backup files could be rendered unusable. Currently, the malware doesn't restart following a system boot, but you should expect that to come in an upcoming version. In addition to adding detection for malware, Apple has revoked the developer certificate used to sign the malicious copy of the BitTorrent client transmission. New infections can't happen until the malware developer creates a new version. Malwarebytes recommends that Mac users should restart their computers immediately, and if they have downloaded the transmission app recently, it should be deleted. Malwarebytes anti-malware for Mac can remove the threat, but any files that have been encrypted before the malware has been removed will be lost unless they've been backed up and the backups are still intact. The Federal Communications Commission is promoting a plan that would make broadband service more accessible for low-income families. Nearly all households with annual incomes of $150,000 or more have broadband access, but less than half of those with incomes under $25,000 have access. FCC Commissioner Tom Wheeler says the proposal will come up for a vote at the end of the month, and he expects it to be approved. The broadband subsidy would be rolled into the FCC's existing Lifeline plan that has existed for a long time. That plan provides $2 billion in annual subsidies so that low-income families can afford wired or wireless phones. The plan was substantially modified in 2015 to address fraud and misuse issues. The new plan would give low-income families $9.25 per month that could be spent on high-speed Internet access. And if anyone finds high-speed Internet access available for $9.25 a month, please let me know. Wheeler says that digital equity is needed to address some of the nation's challenges, such as income inequality, job creation, economic growth, and competitiveness. And you might be wondering what will be addressed in spare parts this week, only on the website. At the education section of the South by Southwest Festival, talk about how open education resources are becoming increasingly important in classrooms. And Microsoft partners with the NCAA to provide insight into the upcoming March Madness, and we hope they don't drop the ball. Sorry, that was a joke. Sort of. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.